0: You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis friendly marketing agency.
1: I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. Today we have a fireside chat on the state of cannabis with Eric Postel, partner with Parlatory Law Firm. Eric advises entrepreneurs looking to enter the industry tells us what's holding up legalization at the federal level, and how the rohrbacher farr Amendment prohibits the U.S. Justice Department from interfering at the state level in the medical cannabis industry. Let's meet Eric to get his wise take on the state of cannabis. Hi, Eric. How are you? Great. So thank you for uh, coming back again and joining us here on the podcast. Really appreciate that.
0: No doubt about it.
1: <laughs> okay. So I thought we could just jump right into questions. Whatever you'd like. Okay. All right. would appreciate that. What advice would you give entrepreneurs who want to enter the cannabis industry? What do they need to know? How should they
0: get there? I mean, that's a, that's the starting point for everyone, right? Right. I think what folks may somewhat understand, but not enough is just how complicated the cannabis industry really is. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is something that's been for so long federally illegal, and really only in its infancy in terms of a regulated market, We're within 10 years or so of Washington State and Colorado starting their markets up. Um, So when you're getting involved, you have to understand that this isn't just, I like marijuana, I've grown some plants at my house, I want to go and, and be in this industry. There's a lot of science to it. It's very technical. Um, there's the, the, the market changes going from $1,000 uh, per pound to $100 per pound uh, and then back up. I mean, it can fluctuate wildly. Um, the, 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 the supply uh, chain process is, is, is in itself complicated. Uh, and then the, the, the regulations. And compliance are costly and, uh, and and require, unlike a lot of things where you could be an entrepreneur and just jump right in and start doing things and not really pay attention to um, some of the important uh, how to set things up correctly steps. In cannabis, you don't have that luxury. You have to focus on compliance before you start, while you're starting, while you're going. At all points. every single day you have to pay attention to that because if you flow in and out of compliance in dramatic ways, you're going to bring attention on yourself, uh, and it's not the attention that you actually want. So the best advice that I give folks is really spend time thinking about it. Get to know the industry. Get to know what it looks like as an industry, not just as a as a uh, a personal interest or whatever. And even if there are folks that are are in the legacy market, you have to consider this thing from a regulated market perspective. And you may know a whole lot about the plant, but if you don't know how to operate in a regulated legal market, that's something that you need to spend time learning as well. Uh, I am a proponent of uh, bringing people in from the legacy market for sure. I think that uh, uh, this is a place that, that, this is an industry that should involve all different types of people, folks with experience and folks without, but everyone's gonna have a learning curve and start there. Get to know the industry, get to know what a regulated market looks like in your state. Um, talk with a, with a team uh, of lawyers or, or consultants who deal with these types of things and put a team in place that's built to do this stuff from the start. Um, and if you're thinking ahead, uh, getting involved in a in a in a new market for sure, and you're putting those teams together. You're ahead of the ahead of the curve.
1: Mm-hmm. A
0: lot of folks are just gonna throw an application in and then see what sticks, and then put things together after the fact. That's too late. So true. Everything that you've said.
1: Um, having been an entrepreneur, you do tend to just want to jump in there and start your business, but you really have to get to know this industry. And also with the legacy people. I've noticed um, the few that I've spoken to that they're so used to the mindset if they've really been in it for, say, 15 years and they've been paying people off to operate. They're so used to hiding and skirting the law. They really need to realize that they have to do exactly what you've said to be able to come out and be successful in the legal market.
0: It will be that way for a little while, Um, but I would advise against that.
1: Yeah. What do the various emerging markets look like? And how are they different? I guess, state by state?
0: Yeah. How do we see so that? Right now, in the last year or so, we've really seen rapid um, development of markets. Uh, where, where I primarily practice uh, in Virginia, Virginia was the first southern state to go adult use rec. They already went to medicinal a couple of years before that, but really had medicinal marijuana on the books for quite a long time. Um, And why that was such an important thing is because the South is a huge marketplace for cannabis, and it was also one of the more conservative parts of the country where the moralist view was getting in the way of the, the, the commercial industrial view. Folks were saying marijuana is bad. Okay, well, we've all heard that forever. And that was getting in the way. Now, Mississippi has passed medicinal. South Carolina is on the verge. North Carolina is on the verge. Tennessee put in some some things that that were pretty weak. But the point is, the domino effect is happening. Southern states are coming online. The Northeast Corridors is there. Um, New York, New Jersey, Maine, Massachusetts. Major uh, marketplaces, New York City for sure. All these markets are, are unique to themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. They're
0: going to be set up in their own way. What I like about it from a, uh, uh, the perspective of experiment is we get to see what states are doing differently and what's working, what's not. I'll give you a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. Right now, Oklahoma is really like the Wild West, It has almost no uh, real strict uh, regulations and, and it's very easy to get involved. And I think we're seeing that that's not really the type of marketplace that's the healthiest uh, either. On the other hand, we can see uh, a very regulated market that has extreme taxing issues in California. And what's happening there? Well, if you tax too high, you invite the black market because people cannot compete. They can't make a living doing that. And so we're seeing that play itself out. So places like Virginia, which is reenacting its, its law from last year, is gonna make significant changes, uh, should be paying attention to the issues that come up in a mature market if you go too far in any one direction. So we want a nice, happy medium place. You want taxes that make sense. You, wanna, you want to the state to benefit from it, but you don't want taxes that don't make sense. Uh, you, you want uh, the ability to bring, bring product to the, uh, to the market, but if you limit canopy in a way that it's impossible to actually make any money off of this thing, that's another thing. If you limit THC in a way that makes it useless, all of these things only, all they do is signal to the black market, keep going, you guys are fine.
1: Why doesn't the federal government under, or even, well, federal and state governments understand that? I don't, it's common sense, even someone who's not entrepreneurial or business minded or, you know, accountant, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up people can't survive. Let alone bring in those black, you know, the legacy people, of course, that that that's a, that just lets them continue what they're doing. And, and also, it it doesn't allow for small businesses to thrive, it only allows for the big money people to come in the MSOs, they're going to be able to make it. Small entrepreneurs don't have that cash flow. They can't make it.
0: Well, that, that, that's a great point. I mean, we, we are seeing the emergence of major multi-state operators and not just uh, domestic MSOs, but international MSOs. There are Canadian businesses that are operating in the United States. It, it, it should be stated quite clearly that it is a facade, it is a fiction to say that interstate commerce is not occurring in the cannabis industry. It's occurring both on a black market scale and also on the regulated market scale. If the only thing that's not crossing state lines is the cannabis itself, you have uh, interstate commerce. That's, we really do have uh, an issue with uh, watching MSOs kind of take over and gobble up a lot of these, uh, these states. I think MSOs have a place. They're important. We want uh, our, our Budweiser brand cannabis, right? There is nothing wrong with that but we want local businesses, local employment, local entrepreneurs. We want money to circulate into towns that hasn't seen industry in a while. It brings back jobs where folks are are learning new skills, how to be involved in this this business place from uh, um, the trimming or working with the plant or administrative support for for a a facility or whatever it is, There's, there's jobs to be had in this space. Uh, and we certainly want those to be at the, the local level. Um, and I think that's important too. So, balance and everything.
1: So, what do you think is holding up reform? Well, I, I mean, why do you think at a state and national level this isn't understood? Is it well, just? It's not democracy? that it's not
0: understood. Uh, I think it's very well understood. I think uh, Pew put out its poll recently. Um, a, a, a huge majority of Americans favor. Um, legalization or reform for medicinal or adult use or both. I think it's in the 90s. There is no other issue in American politics that has such bipartisan support. The politicians know this. The problem is that we're letting perfect be the enemy of the good. And what I mean by that is you have such competing interests that have nothing to do with cannabis as a market, as a regulated market, as a Schedule One narcotic or not Schedule One, And those are our typical everyday political issues. What I see out there is that we try to correct all e- evils, all ills that are going on in society in a cannabis law. Social equity is an important concept. It, it, it has a place in cannabis. Folks have been dispropor- disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, undoubtedly. Um, uh, people of color, even more so than, than, than white Americans, okay? Cannabis has an opportunity and should take advantage of the opportunity to correct some of those things. But mm. we don't have to act like we're correcting everything. And if we create these, these social policies within the cannabis bills that have nothing to do with just regulation, that's where it stalls. And then you're back to that, the, the typical fighting over civil rights issues and, and uh, like we see in voting rights and, and, and other things like that, that that are important, societal, systemic, long-term issues. There's not a quick fix to that. It's not going to happen in cannabis either. Uh, moderate reforms, things that that move the ball forward, that account for that, that address it. And it's happening at the state level too. Um, and some states are doing it better than other states. But when you let perfect be the enemy of the good, that's what we have. We're just sitting there looking at each other like, we all know we want to make reform, but we don't know how to get past these social issues um, for which there really is no cure because it's going to take hundreds of years, not one year uh, to overcome these things. And that's that's the reality. Um, so I, I, I think that in my estimation, that's what's holding it up. Things like that. On top of that, you do have some concerns about, OK, if we do it too fast, we're going to have all these messes that we're going to have to resolve down the line.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: a slow trickle, it seems to be somewhat of a positive allowance for at least government folks. Uh, politicians you don't want to just open the floodgates and now you have fires everywhere that that require attention and so i think there is some preference for let's slowly do this thing but you know what 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 are some things let me let me flip it some things that i think you could do deal with the criminality aspect deal deal with that piece of it now you mean expungement expungement is part of it or folks that are that are operating this space mm-hmm. um um who are uh, you know the doj really should be focusing on other things other than marijuana uh, mm-hmm. let's just be direct you know we have an opioid epidemic issue in our country with people dying every single day and we're spending so much money on, on cannabis stuff that I just, I don't think that that's the smartest way to do this, especially because we're inviting it in. Mm-hmm. There are clear issues. There's marijuana being grown on the black market that's getting sprayed with uh, fentanyl. You know, there are things out there that, uh, that are problematic. We should address those things. We right. should deal with stuff that's clearly harmful. But generally speaking, stop imprisoning people for nonviolent offenses. Mm -hmm. That's not harming anybody. Um, And and I think cannabis is a a perfect example of that.
1: I really like what you said earlier that we're learning from each of these states. Uh, So that's the good news. But then what's going to happen when we all try to come together and cohesively?
0: I mean, that's that's a great question. Nobody knows. Um, I think... If we're not careful, then we're, we're going to jeopardize small farmers. We're going to jeopardize smaller entrepreneurs and businesses. The big pharma is going to come in and gobble up all the MSOs. And it's, I think that that's a fear for a lot of folks. And we're imagining, we're imagining a world that, that's very different. You know. Uh, and then you talk about international trade.
1: Right, right, I, I, that, right, who knows, who can predict. For the business owner, the risk is the constantly changing laws that put you at risk um, because if you screw up, then the feds will come for you. Uh, what happens when you find yourself on the other side of a federal investigation? Well, it's not a
0: good place to be. Um, you know, the, I, there's, again, um, awareness and a, a smart plan that you you commit to compliance from the beginning is really going to keep you out of that other side of the table. But that's another problem with with the criminality aspect. It's very easy for an investigation to find some person doing something wrong and then to try and connect them to a bigger operator um, who hasn't really done anything wrong, but there's an affiliation there. Uh, so we can we can imagine a conspiracy between them because you have a problem that you've identified, but you also have this, this desire, bias, whatever, for this larger group. Uh, you want the larger hall. Civil forfeiture, is, civil forfeiture is a huge part of this. If the police are incentivized to take the properties and cash of the larger operator and can justify it under these uh, conspiracies to distribute marijuana over state lines or something like that, Well, they're going to keep coming after because that's what's funding them so civil forfeiture is another issue to really take a look at but for your question is you know what what do people who find themselves on the other side of this thing uh you you look at you look at your program look at your compliance are you are you compliant the law protects us in some ways uh and it doesn't protect us in other ways um if you're in the medicinal space you have different protections than if you're in the adult use space uh, and this is federal protections um, so it's it's pretty complicated stuff but you know start with compliance is the real recommendation
1: and also if, if there's no really laws in place at the federal level they don't really even know what to do you know there, there's no guidelines for them because those laws haven't really even been made yet. Can they come? I mean, there you? are
0: some laws, and that, that's that's why it's important uh, for folks. It depends on the space you're in. If you are in the adult use recreational space, you have far less federal protections than you do if you're in the medicinal space. In the medicinal space, you have a number of protections and guidance from the DOJ that's that are historical, um, where we, we deprioritized cannabis at one point. Um, uh, Rohrabacher-Farr is an amendment that was passed through through uh, Congress and the Senate. The President has included it in his annual uh, budgets and things like that for the first time under Biden. Um, but what's important there is that Rohrbacher Far is an amendment that prohibits the DOJ from expending any funds to uh, interfere with the state's medicinal um, uh, program, so long as whoever they're targeting was compliant with state laws. That's a very, very murky position to begin with because at what point does it kick in well those are the questions that we have to you know, feel out in in case law folks have to be the sacrificial lamb in order to get to a place where we really understand what that law where, where it protects you and where it doesn't um where does it kick in like what do you mean well oh. we well, the case law is 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 still emerging this is all new stuff. There's not a whole lot out there on this. I would suggest that the that uh, Rohrbacher FAR is always kicking in as soon as you understand that it's a medicinal business. Let's just just focus on a business side. You, as the DOJ or DEA or whoever, are required to do an extra step of analysis. You should be. Is this business? Compliant. What's the evidence we have that they're not compliant um, in the first circuit court of appeals in Maine recently came out and said compliance in this question doesn't mean strict compliance. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect that's impossible. Um, but what does it mean how much compliance is enough compliance. Blatantly illegal is certainly the other end of that spectrum. So if you're blatantly illegal, then you're not compliant. You don't get the protection. But if you're not blatantly illegal and you're not strictly compliant, you're a generally compliant business, and there isn't really a lot of evidence of the blatant illegality, I would suggest the DOJ should not be able to spend any funds on anyone that looks like that without clear evidence (laughs) to the contrary. But this is stuff that has to work its way through the courts.
1: Right. So the DOJ would only get involved on a state uh, level or a business running in a state. Well, for the
0: DOJ to get involved, there has to be federal crime or allegation okay. of crime. So interstate commerce. If mm. you're selling over state lines, you are subject to federal jurisdiction and the, and the DOJ can come and prosecute you. Uh, but the mere allegation that you are, is that enough? If I if I say that uh, you know somebody, uh, I'm watching this person do something illegal, and I see them talking to you, and I know that you're also in the marijuana business, and every now and again you work with this person because they're also, uh, aside from doing something illegal, they're legally allowed to be in the marijuana business, and so I know that you work together, and that's it. Am I allowed to come after you because of that connection? Well, if I say there as a conspiracy, then I I probably can. Right. Unless the courts can step in and say, no, you didn't have enough to do that. And they're a medicinal business and they're this, in this generally compliant place. And so you really had no right to expend any funds on them. But that's stuff that a court has to weigh. Now, flip it to the adult side. There is no law like that. All right? So if you're out there operating, there's, it doesn't matter if you're strictly compliant or you're not compliant. The DOJ hasn't really tested this because it becomes a 10th Amendment issue. Once the DOJ comes in and, and tries to go after uh, a, a state compliant adult use business, they're going to run up against the state and the state's going to have to go to court and say, you can't tell us that we can't have this market. Um, and I think they're right under the 10th Amendment. And that's, it's, that's a whole other body of law, but it's hmm. it's interesting stuff. But you know, we're going to be in this weird place where people are getting prosecuted and and having to create case law um, until we have reform and so until then you've got to be prepared uh, to potentially face this you have to have a strong compliance program track and trace is an important element to any emerging market if you're out there thinking about creating a market in your state and you don't want to include uh, a track and trace system you're setting yourself up for failure um, mm-hmm. the ability to know where from the seed to sale, where a plant is in transaction will limit and reduce black market activity to a degree. It won't, mm-hmm. it won't ever go away, but it will eliminate it to a certain degree for sure. Uh, if you, and if you can track all of that stuff, at least you'll know that this didn't come from this type of program at all.
1: Right, which I think most states are are requiring, like the metric system or the track, some sort of track and trace system. And A lot of states
0: are, but some states are not. Oh, really? Wow, that's crazy. That's the issue in Maine. They did not have and do not have track and trace in their um, medicinal market.
1: Mm. And, and it's interesting also because I've noticed uh, being in New York that and I've heard this from other people also, that there's a lot of products, CPG products, flooding the marketplace, especially now that the legal operators are openly operating here. So not only are they operating illegally, but they're bringing products across state lines. So this is kind of what you're you're talking about. Those CPG companies are risking their licenses, but it's happening, most likely because they want to get their brand known in the New York marketplace. And they're risking this. But those products are coming into the marketplace
0: and they're going to continue until yeah. we fix the, 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 the system. Right.
1: But this law, like you're talking about, this amendment um, probably might give the DOJ the, um, the permission to come in on those kind of cases, I guess. It's oh, yeah, somebody...
0: absolutely. So, if, so let, let's just be clear. If you're blatantly operating in an illegal fashion, it doesn't matter that you are a licensed medicinal business. If you're selling over state lines, uh, if, if you're not act, like, paying any attention to compliance at all, uh, and, and it's, it's really just, uh, you know, guys, it's a, it's a facade, it's fake, then the DOJ has every right under our current laws to come after you. Now, philosophical point, should we be prosecuting cannabis anyway? No, <laughs> but that's not the law right now. Uh, and the law should change. Um, but the, so you got to deal with what, what reality is. And until we change those laws, this is how people ought to be participating. Or at least have the awareness. If you're going to venture out outside of the regulated market, and you're going to stay in the black market. You're taking the same risk you always took. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it'll work for you, or maybe it won't, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of work for lawyers uh, in these coming
0: years. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a place for all ancillary businesses that really are committed to, to helping the industry take shape. And what I mean by that, we have to change the stigmas and the, and the narrative that this is an evil, bad, moralistically problematic thing. This is an agricultural product. It is a plant. It has medicinal values. It has personal values. It has spiritual values. Uh, the beyond the um, the personal consumption for um, the, the the effects, the high, the, the the industrial uses of hemp itself, of the sativa plant, are un, unnumbered. There's there's there, it can do so many different things, uh, and and we're really going to be entering, if we're not already there, a very exciting time of, of new development, things that can um, help the environment. There are biodegradable plastics that come from the industrial hemp plant. There are p- products out there right now that are being used to treat the uh, blue-green algae issues in um, rivers. There are some uh, studies out there looking at whether they can, uh, the, the, the these products from, from the hemp plant can um, help rejuvenate or save or protect the, um, the coral reefs out there. Mm-hmm. These are major uh, uh, concepts. Now you get into the, uh, the commercial side, major car manufacturers are using hemp inside their vehicles. Mm-hmm. And so the point is is we need to be uh, acknowledge truth and reality that this is a plant that is important positive and needs to be allowed and regulated and tested and pushed out there. And you know what, if, if it's harmful to, to you, don't use it. If you, if you are the type of person that has uh, a dependency on marijuana, get help. You, know, you can abuse alcohol. You can a- abuse prescription pills. You can abuse cannabis accountability at your own personal level and in your own community, treatment, uh, uh, health centers dedicated to helping folks deal with these types of things, uh, mental health, it's a f- around this. But just saying it has the potential to have some harmful effects somewhere in the universe, therefore nobody should be allowed to use it, well, that's ridiculous. And we need to move beyond that.
1: That's right. That's a perfect way to end this podcast. (laughs) That's perfect. Thank you.
0: I'm happy to have been on. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Okay, cool.
1: Thanks, Eric. I'll I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong, available now at dopehistory.com.